Now is your time to flex. What up, everybody, and welcome to another beautiful day here on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. Of course, I'm the host, the moderator, B. Jones, and I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. If this is your first time listening, don't feel bad. You know, we've been doing a lot of introductory podcasts and you picked the perfect time to jump on board today because uh, we're going to get into the prolific one, Mr. Carol Cadayo on the show today. But if this is your first time listening, take some time after the show today, go back, subscribe, listen to all of our other podcasts. We've talked about leaping, growing, flying, of course, the phlegology mantra. So, you know, you can get connected with us and kind of catch up. So once we get into 2017 with the I'm the one You'll be right there with us. But as I said before, today we're jumping into the prolific one. Carol Cadayo, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, 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 you welcoming me like I've never been here. I know I've been gone for a long time because we were doing all these intro podcasts. You guys had me sidelined. I think you did that purposely because of when we flipped seats. So you, you, you suspended me for a while, but I'm glad to be back. I'm excited about today's podcast. No, man, you know, we just gave you an opportunity to sit back, reflect, try to get you, you know, your wheels turning and your gears moving again, give you an opportunity to come with some fresh material so, you know, you can just wow and amaze us today. Is that what happened? Well, I better go get an oil can, man. I think my wheels might be rusty from sitting <laughs> so long, but no, man, nah, man, man. We're re- ready to go. You ready, ready to go. go easy so we're going to jump in today um we're going to talk a little bit about your 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 upbringing first you know where you're from and you know how that had such an impact on your life and who you are today a lot of people are probably confused about where i'm from i mean you look at my name and that's just so unique but me personally i was born in brooklyn new york um one of the first people in my family born outside the country, two islands, one country of Trinidad and Tobago. And I also have some Venezuelan background as well. So there's a lot of mixture in there. Um, But me personally, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I have an older brother who's 11 years older than me. And as my mom tells the story, he he asked for me. Uh, He wanted a little brother. (laughs) <laughs> Miles was like, so as ah, I was, I'm good with just you. <laughs> yeah, so so anytime um, I was giving my mom trouble when I was growing up, she would always uh, tell my brother it's his fault that, that he asked for me. So <laughs> <laughs> Work this out. Easy, man. So you, you, you were all over the place uh, as a youth, or was it just Brooklyn? Nah, so Brooklyn basically the whole family like most island families uh when we move from the caribbean uh new york is the united states so when we say we're going to the united states that usually means we're going to new york and then we re- <laughs> okay. and then and then we realize how cold it is and it's such a difference from the island so we the whole family moved from new york well most of the family was in new york but i had aunts and uncles that were in england at the time and one of my uncles actually came from England to help drive everybody down mm-hmm. to South Florida, uh, where the first place we landed was Homestead. And when we did that, my brother and I went with my grandmother, but my mom stayed in New York. Mm-hmm. And I, I was three years old when that happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pretty cool to look back at family pictures from that road trip, you know, with a huge U-Haul and 
driving down and it was a caravan of us all the way down to homestead and at that point i bounced back to new york one more time mm-hmm. uh, before finally being a permanent fixture in in miami okay so you say your mom stayed in new york so who who raised you uh my grandmother from the time i was born um my grandmother probably lived maybe three blocks over from uh where we lived in new york and at the time she was still working uh, my grandmother was already in her 60s when i was born mm-hmm. and uh I used to go to her house every day and I used to tell my mom and my dad uh, when I could talk that I couldn't sleep in their house. I needed to go to my grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. So they would have to take me over there so I could go to sleep. Hey, so grandma's influence started at a very early age. Um, for all of the new oh. listeners, we want to bring you up to speed, man. Carol's grandmother has just been a large part of his upbringing, his personal speaking, his, his motivational speaking, like she just has such an impact on his life. And I'm sure he'll get into that a little bit deeper on today's show. Oh, absolutely, man. So my grandmother, um, I said she was in Trinidad. My grandmother uh, didn't finish, I guess, what would be the equivalent to elementary school here because my great grandfather didn't believe in women being educated. So, but if you ever met my grandmother, she could talk you under, you, you would go to sleep trying to challenge her on anything, whether it be politics, law, whatever it is, she was self-taught. And um, her, her, her craft, her gift was her hand. So whether it be sewing or healing or whatever it is, um, she made great use of her hand. So she would, most of our clothes for my aunts, uncles, all my cousins, most of our first set of clothes, my grandmother had sewn, sewn for us. So, you know, my first pajamas, my first dress shirts were all sewn by my grandmother. Okay. Okay. So what was it like growing up with your grandmother and all of the rest of the, the clan in South Florida? And all the rest of the clan. So it, it's definitely a clan for sure. Um, I have 11 maybe uh it's either 11 or 12 uh first cousins and then i probably have five or six second cousins so um and then i have in addition to my mom my mom had my grandmother had five other kids Mm -hmm. so pretty big family uh spread out all over the place but uh for the most part we're all in the united states at this point um but again caribbean household my grandfather died when my mom was still young so left my grandmother with six kids um and she always used to say that you know they had a house that they still had a mortgage on it was like four thousand dollars in debt and we're talking about way 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 back in like the 19 i don't know gotta be the 1950s maybe mm-hmm. so to have to have a house four thousand dollars in debt at that time that's a lot of money especially in trinidad um so my grandmother had to work she worked multiple jobs, provide for her family, mm-hmm. and then decided that probably the best thing to do was to come to the United States. So she came to the States first. Um, again, she landed in Maryland, D.C. area when she first got to the United States, working multiple jobs until she could sponsor all of her kids to either go to the United States or to go to England and make sure that everybody had an opportunity to go to school if they wanted to do that, um, which, you know, as young kids do you don't always uh accept the gifts and the in the hardship that you're 
parents do to provide for you. Uh, but she made it possible for all of her kids to at least start to pursue what they thought they wanted to do. Um, and that's how everybody got out of Trinidad. So what that led to was that sense of work ethic and sacrifice and doing for other people. That has been a message that's been given to me from time I can remember. Um, and just to see that story. So my grandmother, no matter where she was, in addition to helping her own family, she was always helping other people. So here's somebody that works multiple jobs, you have a family, and then you still give to others. So imagine with all those people around, and then even when we got to the United States, all my cousins were always around. We don't know what it's like to be hungry. We don't know what it is to not have clean clothes or to be in a clean house. My grandmother always made sure she provided for, for everybody. And then even those who she came into contact with that were in need, she always found a way to provide for them as well. So service to others, uh, work ethic, all that stuff was kind of instilled in me growing up from my grandmother. Right. And that's very apparent, even today, in how you're so hands on with everybody that you kind of come in contact with it's like you see when you see somebody you just immediately I, see, I guess see some type of light in them or some way that you can probably impact them to make them a better version of themselves or even if it's just having a conversation um to you know just get to know them like it's, it's crazy apparent that she had that impact on you now oh uh, uh, and it's it's funny so when i started driving we could be my grandmother never learned to drive Right. Never drove a day in her life. Okay. Um, she just passed a few years ago. She was 97. And um, was it 97? 97, 98, one of those. Um, but let's just say she lived a very long, uh, productive, enjoyable life. And when I learned to drive, obviously I would, I would take her everywhere because my grandmother would either walk places or she would take the bus. Mm -hmm. And... So when I could drive, I would drive her and we would see some elderly person on the side of the road walking and she'd be like, oh, stop. And she would ask that person if they needed a ride. And I'd be sitting there like, wait a minute, what, what are we doing? Like, we don't know this person, what's going on? Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we would stop and pick them up and drop them where they needed to go. And she would be like, oh, if you ever see them walking again, when you're driving by yourself, give them a ride. And that's just how she was. She was like, hey, look, everybody needs somebody at some time. Um, everybody can always use help. So don't be afraid to reach out to help other people. So you're absolutely right. Uh, that's just something that just from being exposed to it for so long, it's just what I do. Um, people get mad at me because we'll be out. Uh, my wife, Wendy, she, she'll do this. We'll be in a random place that we've never been before and I'll see a homeless person and I'll stop and start talking with them and have a full blown conversation <laughs> <laughs> about their life and, and how they got to this point. And it's a situation where they're asking other people for money, but they're just so happy that I stopped just to talk to them mm -hmm. about their life. And they feel fulfilled from that, that somebody wanted to talk to them and cared about them enough to understand what, what was going on. And I've, I've been that, that guy all my life. Like, even when I used to work the club scene on South Beach, there were people that were quote unquote homeless, 
that when I parked my car, they would look out for me and be like, oh, you don't have to worry. You know, we got you. Nobody's going to mess with your car. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember one guy, I would park on this meter and somehow he had a way where he had rigged a meter and he would come up. Oh, hey, how you doing? Young blood. You all right? All right. I got your meter. And he would slap the meter and the meter would go all the way to full. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. But and, you know, at the end of the night when I was leaving, I might give this dude a meal or whatever. I'd be like, all right, man, thanks. You know, I appreciate you and go off into the sunset. So it's 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 a gift to a degree, just being able to connect with people and and find things that make people feel appreciated and make people feel like you have a vested interest in them. Right, man. I think uh, your grandmother, she just sounds like an amazing woman, just an angelic spirit. And uh, I'm definitely, you know, Grandmother Kadayo, definitely appreciate all the work that you did to make Carol into the man he is today. So I didn't tell you about the, the boxing. So my grandmother had a photographic memory and oh, she could look at. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm t- I'll tell you about it. So I just told you about the angelic spirit. But um, hell also had no fury. <laughs> hell hath no fury like a grandmother. Fury. <laughs> so my grandmother, her favorite athlete was Muhammad Ali. OK. And my, my grandmother, like she would not really she wouldn't slap you. If, if she had whatever she had in her hand, that's what you can get hit with. But she didn't need anything. She would use her hands. And I'm telling you, you would get two pieced in a second <laughs> and not even know, not even have any idea what happened. You would just know that your head went back like twice. And it's because my girl, man, she could box. I'm telling you. It was, hey, man, you said the gift was her hands, man. It went twofold. The gift was her hands. I'm telling you, don't don't let her grab you. If she grabbed you, it was over. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the introductory podcast, we talked about phlegology and, you know, started breaking it down for the people. You know, we mentioned that motivational speaking wasn't always the thing for you. You dabbled in comedy, stand up, you dabbled in or thought you wanted to be a lawyer at some point, a botanist at some point. You were all over the place at some point at, at different points in your life. What was it or what happened that made you say, hey, motivational speaking is what I'm here to do? That's a great question. And I will tell you that me taking the length of time I did is probably on me. There were signs all along directing me towards the gift, towards the life that I was supposed to live, towards the lane that would allow me to help people the most. And from very young, my grandmother always encouraged me to stand in the mirror to pronounce my words, mm-hmm. to record myself and listen, to write down uh, my messages and practice delivering them um, and memorize them. That was one of the biggest things. She never wanted me to read from a paper. She always wanted me to memorize things, which was a huge asset at that time. But I never connected the dots. And growing up, you know, I would see things that people were doing and think that that was something that was for me. So whether it be I have a one of my cousins or two of my cousin's mom. She was a botanist or she worked at a plant nursery and does experiments with plants. Oh, oh, that's cool. You know, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then, dude, I can't stand in the yard too long. I start sneezing and all that stuff. So me being around plants was not going to work. Then just liking what appeared to me as a since I was always gifted at the gab, 
me getting into a discussion with somebody was never really a discussion. It was me playing with somebody's mind and totally discombobulating what their what their thought process was. We, we, call, that, kind of, we call that the vortex, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they do call that the vortex. It was always me being able to get my message across and totally change somebody from what they were thinking to my line of thought. So obviously thinking, hey, I watch Matlock. I watch Ironside. I went way back, but these are all lawyer TV shows. Right. I can do that. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. And even when I first got to school, I, that was my plan. I was going to be a lawyer. And then something just said, there are way too many people in that field. They don't need yet another person, even though I'd have probably been great at it. Uh, but the other thing was I didn't like to read when I was younger either. And people talked about the amount of reading you have to do in law school, and that didn't interest me at all. But I would say the clues started coming together. And I started talking about wanting to speak and didn't have any idea what that would take. And I was telling people all over, I've been telling people for years, oh, yeah, I'm gonna be a motivational speaker. I'm gonna help people. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Never took the first step to figure it out. So what happened was in 2008, I had a motorcycle accident and it was a motorcycle accident that I probably should have died. Mm -hmm. Like most people that I tell what exactly happened, they're like, how are you still here? Um, people that I know of that had similar accidents, they're not here, right. they're, they're gone. Um, and I got out of it with nothing, no major injuries, nothing debilitating, got up and walked away. But that was to me, the final like, hey, wake up. It is time for you to walk this path. And that changed a lot of things in my life. Um, shortly thereafter is when I really started taking my career seriously. When I started looking at life a little bit differently because you never know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that you want is that you were here on earth and then you're gone. And other than, oh, we miss such and such. Well, that's when I realized I don't want you to just miss me. I want you to miss what I brought to the world. Um, and the things that I put in other people, the seeds that I planted, the, the things that I helped come into fruition, uh, if you will, that impact is what I want to make sure that I craft. And, you know, now that I have a son, I want him to be able to say, hey, this is the legacy my dad left for me to build on. Mm -hmm. And that moment in 2008 totally changed the game okay okay that's amazing man and so you mentioned the wife and the kids so that's the family structure at this point that's the family structure at this point um a few weeks away from being married for five years awesome. Congratulations. Uh, today thank you thank you today um asher turned seven months so that's crazy time is flying uh, that little fellow i mean you you remember you were we were in Maryland when he was born, so right. you remember what that was like. Right. Uh, we went from this little boy that fit like in the palm of my hand, maybe 
halfway down my forearm to now he's like hanging halfway off my body right my upper body and you know his personality's coming out and yeah man my genes are real strong there's there's some things that he does now <laughs> are they <laughs> listen ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i don't know if uh we're we gonna have to get some pictures up As a matter of fact check out carol's facebook page he got a few pictures up there of asher and when i tell you he spit this baby out wendy had him but but carol spit him out as when every piece of asher is carol from the looks to the kadayo head to the side eye he give you when you say something crazy about him yeah and that personality is coming out more and more and and he he does stuff to me that i'm like hey i know what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) i I know what you're doing and it's it's funny man it's just amazing and he has this thing now where he knows when he's doing something that you don't necessarily want him to do and he'll turn and look at you and then just start smiling like oh i wasn't doing anything right and it's 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 amazing at seven months that he's already working on that skill (laughs) wait till you get to the tubes hey man let's switch directions a little bit let's talk a little bit about um you know we've hinted at you know you formed this great organization bond um you were down there for you know some time you you met a lot of our phlegology team down there but what was life actually like for you at university of miami university of miami was talk about leaving a legacy um and it's it's actually an incomplete legacy which i'll get into in a little bit but I did not originally want to go to University of Miami, as crazy as that sounds. And for people that know me, they know I'm all about the Canes. But originally, that was not my intent. I didn't want to go there. My mom worked at University of Miami. She started working there in like the mid 80s. Uh, She started out as a temp there and then became permanent and worked in a couple different uh, functions while she was there. So I definitely did not want to be at the school that my mom worked at. Everybody knew who I was, administration, faculty, people that worked in other capacities, even the people that worked in public safety, they all knew who I was. So there was nowhere I could be on campus where people wouldn't see me that knew my mom. So I didn't even apply to University of Miami initially. Um, I... <laughs> that had to have some kind of advantage though, because you know, when you're the man in the city, you're the man on the yard, and every you you have so many resources, I guess, that you could go to, right? Uh, yes, but at the same time, I've I've always had this independent spirit, which my mom uh, talks to me at times and says, "You're so independent." Like uh-huh. she's like, "I raised you to be independent, but I didn't realize how far you were going to take it." And I didn't want to ask anybody for anything. Uh, I cannot have money for food and I would not go ask my mom and she was like five minutes away or I would not want to go to the house just because I wanted to be independent I wanted to do things on my own because I grew up in a house with majority time my grandmother and then my mother and my grandmother mm-hmm. so they they were always there providing and now I wanted to live life on my own so my initial thought was I wanted to go to Morehouse I wanted to be a Morehouse man and I got accepted the Morehouse, but got no money and didn't know how financial aid worked and student loans because my brother, who's 11 years older than me, he didn't go to college. He went straight to the military. And then I have a couple cousins that they went to college, but 
you know, we weren't in a position where we had those type of conversations as most families um, in our community do. You don't really have those talks about what yeah. it takes to get to college, yeah. the things to do. You know, you get together and you're talking about foolishness instead of, you know, things that can actually help you out going down the line. Right. So because of that, I pretty much, I was just in a, a state of doing nothing. Uh, I didn't have a backup plan because as far as I knew, I was going to Morehouse. And then my mom was just like, okay, well, look, you can go to school here. You don't have to pay for tuition because I get tuition remission. You know, all we got to pay for is books and I'll even let you live on campus the first year. So, okay, maybe that's a trade-off. Um, my mom never saw my dorm room, never came to the dorm. Uh, so that worked out. Because you didn't let her. It's probably a combination of both. <laughs> so okay. probably a combination. Um, but I got to University of Miami. I actually started in the summertime. And because I wasn't focused and it wasn't what I wanted to do, I really didn't do well in the classroom just because it, it bored me, one. And then two, it wasn't what I wanted to do, where I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. So I got there and immediately I got involved in organizations and things like that. And I probably spent more time doing stuff for organizations than I did in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And that, that never turns out well. Um, even though I tell you, my grandmother has a photographic memory. Well, if I hear something, most times I won't forget it. So for a while there, I didn't really go to class but I would go to somebody's study session. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do was hear, hear them talking about it. And that was it. I was good. I would go and take the final exam and ace it. And they would get like a C mm -hmm. and I would get like a B or an A. And they'd be mad at me, but it didn't really matter at the end of the day because there were so many assignments that I didn't do over the course of the semester <laughs> that I couldn't really salvage the overall grade. Right. And that was one of the things that I struggled with when I was younger was being a procrastinator and even to a small degree now, um, you know, I still procrastinate on things sometimes that I could probably knock out pretty quickly, but because I, I know I can do it right. and I feel like, yeah, I just wait. Yeah. And I mean, that's a trap in life though. I mean, I feel like we all kind of struggle with that at, at some point in life. How did you, we're going to get back to the university of Miami, but I think that's important. You know, how do you manage that? So the way that you manage that is that you have to realize that the task that you see immediately in front of you is probably only the tip of the iceberg. And you need to get those out of the way so that you can get to the tasks that are ultimately going to get you the best result that you want or lead you down the path that you should be on. The longer you wait to do the simple things, the longer it's going to take you to get to the complex things that are really going to add value to your life and help you add value to others. Gotcha. So once I, once I realized that, it totally changed how I approach things because, okay, this little mundane task that I'm looking at that I really don't want to do, that's probably going to take me 30 minutes to complete, that I'm over here agonizing about the fact that I have to do it. If I just go ahead and do it and get it over with, it'll be done. And then I can get to the next thing, which is probably the more desirable thing for me to do. Right. Right. So going back to the University of Miami, you got there, you were struggling, not not from a social aspect, just, you know, with motivation in the classroom. Motivation in the classroom. So, um, man, I'll tell you, 
I learned more outside of the classroom than most people learn in the classroom. Message. And yep, message. And I think a lot of people go to school over time and even now today, and they don't learn the importance of that social interaction. And that social interaction is what actually helped me get closer to my gift and to doing what I'm doing now because because of my struggles, I didn't want to see other people struggle. So that's kind of how I met all these other guys because I was trying to make sure that people found that balance of academics and then the social interaction. And hey, the academics is really a checkoff. The social interaction is what's going to shape and form your future outlook. Okay. And so you mentioned meeting all of the other guys. We've kind of got their spiel on it. You know, we won't get too deep off into that. We know y'all overlapped a lot while you were at the University of Miami. Do you have a particular situation, funny story, where the group of y'all just got into some nonsense or mess or just something that, that was, I guess, funny at the time? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I do. So I briefly told you about the motorcycle accident. What I didn't tell you about was the moped accident where I should have died as well. And <laughs> you you should have died twice. You telling us? I should. Uh, there's probably maybe like three times I should have died. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we uh, we take this trip down to the Keys. I can't remember what what it was, but we took this huge trip down to the Keys. There's probably like thirty of us. And uh, Fresh, Faison, maybe BJ. I'm not sure if he was there or not. I think he was, but I'm not sure. Anyway, we go down to the Keys, and that in itself was an ordeal. All these college kids, we're in a bunch of cars. We're driving on the wrong side of the road going to the Keys because, you know, once you get further down, it turns into... One, 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 one lane coming, one lane going. Yeah. Well, we, we, we made it a two lane highway. Um, <laughs> so that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, we get to the hotel we're staying at. And the first thing people want to do is go get these mopeds. Yeah, and I hadn't decided if I hadn't decided if I wanted a moped yet. And so hold on. Were somebody you already said, riding. Had you already been on the motorcycle? Like you already good. Uh, riding a motorcycle is like in the blood of my family like any vehicle is in the blood of my family even my grandmother rode motorcycles okay and and even rode the last time my grandmother was on a motorcycle she rode on the back of a motorcycle that my uncle um was riding not not a cruiser bike a sport bike okay and i think she was in her late 70s wow shout out yeah. to grandma kadayo man she's amazing <laughs> So, so it's just something that was in the blood, but I, yeah, at this point I had not been riding, so I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing, Okay. but everybody else is doing it. It looked real easy and <laughs> it was, it, it, it was easy when I first got on and I rode around the parking lot and I came back and they're like, oh, okay, cool. You think you'll get one? Yeah, I think I'll get one. So everybody's moving to their rooms and I'm like, Hey, you know, Carol, just, just ride that one around to the other side. Cause the rooms are on the other side. So everybody's gone except for one car. A friend of ours is, is driving and then um, Fresh is in the passenger seat and they're watching me and I start to take off. And all of a sudden, like, I can't remember what it was. I hit like a dirt patch and I started losing control and I panicked and I was all the way on the throttle. 
and these mopeds went like oh no 60 miles per hour so i'm in this parking lot and i'm getting it mm-hmm. across this parking lot trying to catch control well i hit a dip in the parking lot and that launched the moped up in the air <laughs> so imagine i'm i'm holding on to this moped oh, while it's in the air and it's almost like i'm doing a wheelie but that back tire is spinning so fast that when i come back down i hit on that tire and it sends me back up in the air and now i'm going towards this fence this chain look fence and i'm like this isn't gonna be good so somehow in the air and i wish fresh was on here because for him to add at just the drama behind it because they're watching all this happen live i throw the moped from under me with one hand but now i'm still in the air so i land on the ground on my side and at this point we had those uh motorola sky pagers mm-hmm. they used to fit used to fit in the case and you know you could actually put words yeah well that comes out that the, the beeper itself cuts me all the way up my side oh, um and i end up with no skin on my forearm because i'm sliding forever and i had on jean shorts they were blue jean shorts by the time i was done they were black and um i'm just laying there when i finally stopped so they're actually driving the car up behind me slowly and fresh jumps out the car our friend jumps out and all i could hear fresh say oh my god i think he's dead And uh, I hear him say that, and then I just jump up, boom, like like to my feet. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, my God, how are you alive? And uh, I've got no skin on my forearm. I've got no skin on the, the side of my leg from the knee down. Oh, and, uh, I'm like, I'm, and I'm just like, oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I start looking at myself, and that's, that's when I realize, oh, yeah, shoot, I've got no skin on my forearm. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, that was pretty uh, funny for them to watch and scary at the same time. Uh, there are many, many scary moments, but uh, or funny moments. But that one in particular was just one that they realized. Like uh, for a while, my name used to be Iron Man for a while. One because I used to eat anything, and then two because I would get into these accidents and then just walk away like right. nothing happened. <laughs> and uh, so to, to to close that story. Um, an hour later, I was jet skiing. <laughs> Wait, what? No tree, no triage, no no emergency room. Nah, man, what, emergency room for what? So man, you don't have skin on one arm and one leg. You got a laceration up the whole side of your torso. What do you mean? Listen, listen, man. They came. One of the girls came with this black bottle, and I had no idea what was in this black bottle. And she said, uh, "Let me see your arm and your leg." And she just started spraying this liquid on my arm and leg. It turned out it was alcohol. So after that, it was whatever. We went by Publix, got some gauze bandages, wrapped it up, and then that was it. So we went to the beach. (laughs) Carried on. Yep. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Hey, man. So, all right. With the University of Miami, you know, you say you didn't finish. Um, but it sounds like you did a whole lot for a, a whole lot of people, whether it be personal organizations and things of that nature. What do you feel like your legacy is at the University of Miami? Uh, so 
and I, people may have heard me say it before, but my legacy was leadership. And uh, a kind of brotherhood, sisterhood type deal. Like, hey, we're here. We're not going to allow anything to affect what we're supposed to do. We're not going to allow administration or anybody else to take advantage of us. And that legacy meant, hey, I was always on the forefront of dealing with administration, even dealing with alumni. Mm-hmm. They used to come back and try to tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And I was always the one that was like, hey, um, this isn't your day in time. This is this is a different time. What was affecting you back then may not necessarily be affecting us. You might want to take the time to find out what we need. Um, and it was the same thing with the administration. So I was always at the forefront of doing stuff. And look, these folks knew that, look, sometimes I would, I would go to class and not even be enrolled because it was a class that I was making up assignments for or something mm-hmm. so, and they knew it and I was around um, but the biggest thing would just be helping each other because when I first got there it was nothing for half of the incoming freshman class um, to be gone after you know the first year Yeah. and my thing was okay from the time you come to visit the campus to the time you enroll to the time you graduate we're going to make sure that you understand why you're here, what it is you're supposed to do. And nobody else was going to live the life that I was living, which, you know, as quiet as it's kept, you know, it was embarrassing that hey, I was looked at as this leader, but I wasn't a student leader. Right. And that was what we were supposed to be at the time. We were supposed to be student leaders. Well, I wasn't a student of the classroom. I was a student outside the classroom learning other stuff, how to talk to people, how to leverage what we had to get whatever they had mm-hmm. um, and vice versa um, how to build relationships exactly. that was that was my thing and but still just to know hey look I got the highest honor you can get at University of Miami which is being part of, of the Iron Arrow Honor Society well wh- where was the honor and what I did right but because I had helped so many people and so many people had vouched for me I got that honor and really what made me leave and what the camel what broke the camel's back was um, I got married uh, in my senior year and ended up going through divorce so we talked about me being married now and having a child but um, I actually got divorced mm-hmm. from my first marriage or was going through divorce and at that time my mind was just so blown and I was just so discombobulated that I didn't want to be around people that knew me because it was such an embarrassing thing for me. And really, I thought that my life was in shambles at that time, not really embracing all the people around me that supported me and that, you know, no matter what, were going to be there for me. Um, I felt like I was isolated and alone. So at that point, um, I was working for who I work for now, CarMax. Mm -hmm. And they they asked me if I wanted to relocate. And in an effort to get away from everybody, I said, yep, sure, let's do it. Where am I going? And I ended up in Virginia at that time. So um, basically my thing was, is that my time there had ended at that point. Mm-hmm. And listen, I tried to do University of Phoenix online and none of that stuff was the University of Miami. 
So even though I started out not wanting to be there because of all the roots that I put down there and everybody else I saw graduate, I always made myself a promise that when I got the first opportunity that I would finish at University of Miami. So what does that look like now for you? <laughs> Good question. So what that looks like now is that I've been waiting forever and talking to people about, hey, when are we going to have online courses available right. it's, 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 the, it's the wave of the future and I just found out last year end of 2016 that they do now have online courses for excuse me undergrad and I've already been seeing the counselors and I should be enrolled uh, coming this summer so it's almost like starting all over again where I started in the summer when I first got there and now that I'm going back I'll be starting in the summer again and it's funny because i almost feel like it's it feels like groundhog day but you know how people say i wish i knew then what i know now and i i actually get to get that opportunity of knowing things now that i would have done differently and being able to apply that coming with this second chance to finish up and trust me, I'm not far away. Like I said, I was in my senior year. So Right. So that's only, what, maybe 15 credits? Maybe 25? About 15, 18 credits, something like that. Awesome, man. Well, that's good, that's, that's good stuff, man, because you, you brought it full circle. You didn't let the adversity and the embarrassment just kind of keep you in that comfort zone and just let it like, ah, I'm good in life because I, I learned my lessons at the University of Miami. I'm impacting lives. You didn't just let that, you know, dictate, you know, where you are or where you're going to go today. You actually want to finish that. So I think that's amazing. Man. Well, that's I, but, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But I'll tell you that that was not a slow process. Like that process took years. But what kind of masked it at the time mm -hmm. was that I was having success in my career all along yep. and it's not like it's not like i was you know working for some little you know bootleg company or something right i worked for a fortune 500 company a fortune 100's best to work for exactly. and i i'm not in a a a small value position i'm in a high value position where i interact with a lot of people so Again, talking about the gifts and what I do, I've been able to interact with people that maybe didn't think they could be successful with this company and show them how to be successful and then use my own uh, time with the company to show you, hey, this can be done because there's not many people that look like you and I that have higher positions in our company. And for a long time, we didn't think that somebody like us could be in my position. Mm -hmm. and. Here I am. So uh, I, I think that gave me some partial fulfillment all this time. And that's what has allowed me to stay there um, because I was using parts of my gift. Uh, but at some point, you know, you have to realize that when you're not maxing out your gift, you're not living your life to the maximum ability. And that's kind of how Fledgeology has come about and continues to grow. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's talk motivational speaking for a moment, man. So the field today, motivational speakers, some could say they're a dime a dozen. Anybody has, has a platform now, especially with the advent of social media. How do you feel about the motivational speaking field today? 
let's be honest. So motivational speaking, you can make a lot of money for little output. You don't have to have all these products and whatnot. Like, yeah, the good ones end up with product from your years of speaking and you end up with books and, you know, audio subscriptions and things like that. So a lot of people get drawn to it because you don't really have to have a certification. There is a a certified speaking professional certification out there, but you don't have to have it. Right. Um, You don't really have to go to anybody and apply to be a motivational speaker. So there are people out there that I think are in it for the wrong reasons. They're in it for money. And basically they spend their time taking pieces of what everybody else is doing and regurgitating that for people as if it was their own and they're profitable off of that but in the end they really don't give you true value um and help you to get better uh they kind of dangle out like a fisherman you know when the fisherman puts that that fishing pole in the water with the bait on it it's just bait you're not really going to get fed you're going to become food and that's what some speakers are out there doing with people um they're they're eating off of those folks not really building into those folks so how how are you different (laughs) how am i different because it really and truly i will do this even if i wasn't getting monetarily paid because i think when you finally find your gift and what's for you that is the payment to your spirit the payment to your soul um and it's what justifies and Uh, basically claims your right to have existed here um, in this period of time and it it, it legitimizes you know hey I actually came here and did what I was supposed to do I think there's a lesson for all of us to learn during Mm -hmm. our life and once you get that that's higher than any payment any degree once you come here and you've lived this life and figured out what it was you're supposed to do what your gift is and you've applied that you can move on graciously. Okay. In the motivational speaking field, though, there's a ton of overlap. You know, you got everybody giving the similar speeches or talking and telling you how you can be your best self in similar ways. How do you differentiate yourself from the Les Browns and the Tony Robbins of the world? Yeah. So the Les Browns, the Tony Robbins, the Eric Thomases, uh, Jim Rohn's, listen if you listen to enough of them you'll see that there are reoccurring messages reoccurring themes um some people are more so trainers than they are speakers so like your tony robbins um your jim Rohn, to an extent these guys were more trainers than they were speakers les brown speaker eric thomas speaker um there's some other folks that you know i could call out there and and they do a good hybrid of speaker and trainer um i'm more on the speaker side because my goal is to interrupt your internal voice just for a second from that message that you've been playing on loop and for you to listen to me and hopefully I now challenge your inner voice and make you want to see or do something different than what you've been doing Um, and I try to do that using very simple examples things that people have heard over and over again but I kind of spin it to you in a different way so I try not to be religious, but one of the ones I I, I like to use lately is um, 
there's a Bible verse that says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Right. And most people hear that and they always interpret that to be an external person forming a weapon against you. Well, my thing is, what if that is actually about you and you forming a weapon that you think is going to help you be successful in life, but it's not the weapon for you. So think about the career field that some people go to. They choose that as their weapon to become successful in life. But if that weapon's not for you, you will never achieve ultimate success. So I try to spin it and say, hey, what happens for a weapon that was formed for you? And you take that and you change that into a gift. That gift that was formed for you will ultimately help you to prosper in life. Awesome, man. Amazing. I like that that outtake or the outlook on, you know, that message. That's pretty dope. Um, sticking with the motivational speaking, I want to talk a little bit about I'm the one. You know, we've been seeing the hashtags out there on the Fledgeology, uh, Facebook pages and Instagram, social media stuff. Um, what is I'm the one? How are we going to take that into 2017 as a theme? I'm the one is dual fold. And I know that sounds contradictory to say I'm the one is dual fold. But I do believe that most people out there are living two lives. They live a public life and they live a private life. Um, you can keep breaking that down. Some people live. So there's a, there's a life that my mom knows and there's a life that everybody else knows. Mm -hmm. And as long as long as you're living a life of duality, you can never really live your true life because you should be able to live as the person that you are. Right. So part of I'm the one is the campaign that we're going to go through this year of, hey, we want you to be your true, authentic self in every facet of your life. So you should be able to be the same person that you are at home, in public, with your family, with strangers. There's nothing that you should have to hide because if you are your true self, that is who you're supposed to be. And people should accept that. And if people can't accept that, and I think most of the time we think people won't accept who we are, but that's just fear in our minds of people's outlook and perception of us. So that's the first part of I'm the one. I am the one version of myself and this is the best version of myself and it's going to be an encouragement for people to find out who they are stop being multiple people because we're all out there to some extent being a character in a movie that we've created well that's fine if you're going to be a character but be the best character that you can be be that academy award character and be in the best movie possible for yourself the second part of I'm the one is that people will be challenged to accept personal responsibility for their success and ultimately finding the best version of themselves. No longer can you blame, oh my gosh, look at this president we have in office. Or, hey, I didn't grow up with my father. Uh, I grew up in a broken home or I didn't have money. No, those are all excuses. You are the one that's responsible. You are the one that is responsible for finding out what is it that you're here to do. And you are the one that's responsible for applying that. And once you're able to do that, you can live your best life. And that is what we're all about. We're about getting out of those comfort zones. And sometimes it's not a comfort zone. Sometimes it's just a zone of fear Yep. where you just live in fear of doing something else. And I'm the one is just stating that I'm the one that's going to claim 
my right to live a happy and prosperous life. Awesome, man. So that's what you can expect going forward into 2017 from Fledgeology and here on the 13th floor. I'm the one that's going to be a major part of everything we do from our presentations throughout this year. And it's all about, like you said, that personal personal accountability, making sure that you are doing what you say you're going to do and and, and kind of making taking that devotion to it, you know? Um, hey, man, it's been a great show, man. Before we wrap it up, though, I have to bring it back to Grandma Kadayo. You know, uh, like I said before, she's just been a huge, huge part of Carol's life. And, you know, as he said, you know, she's passed on from this life, you know, some years ago. But if she were here, you know, what do you think she would be telling you at this point in your motivational speaking career? <laughs> um, she would say, boy, you're finally doing something with your life. Or, young man, you, you finally find out what I knew all along. Or, you know, it's going to be something of that. Like, okay, finally, you know, you're doing what it was you're supposed to do. Um, but she would also be my biggest critic. So any word <laughs> that I said that was incorrect, anything that I said that might have been slang, she was going to ask me, you know, what does this mean? Find, find that word for me in the dictionary. <laughs> so... And then she'd be telling me that I need to get back in front of the mirror and pronounce my words and, and, and read the dictionary. That was one of the things she used to encourage me to do, read the dictionary. So I think a lot of people may have seen Malcolm X doing that um, in, in prison. Well, my grandmother was making me do that at home and I would have to write down the words and write down the meaning um, when I was younger. So these are all things, the things that started me down this journey, she would encourage me to keep doing until I had mastered them. Awesome, man. And how but, do you think she would feel? Oh, ultimately, she'd be proud. And I can tell you that um, even if she was 100 years old, uh, could barely move. So my grandmother um, got Alzheimer's and had Alzheimer's for many years. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to see that when one of her children or her grandchildren was doing something that made her proud, she could understand that moment and knew exactly where she was and what was going on. Um, and I can tell you that she'd probably be at any speaking engagement that I had right there in the front row. Um, the first one, stand up and clap. First one to throw the shoe or give you a two piece when you say so too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nobody else get that idea. Don't try it. <laughs> well, definitely, man. I, like, I appreciate you being an open book with us today, man. Hopefully you all feel like you have gotten a, a closer look into Carol. You feel a lot more connected with our speaker because he is going to be guiding us he is going to be dropping a lot of nuggets he is going to get you to realize that you are the one as we go forward um and i'm going to be here right beside him on the 13th floor so definitely subscribe so you can get all of this free content like we said we do it and we do it for the love we do it for the impact so subscribe you can find us on blog talk radio all episodes that's where we're hosted at it's a great site you can find us on itunes google play whatever you use to listen to any type of podcast or music you can find us so check us out all you got to do is search the 13th floor with a nice looking blue and white uh logo with the fledged quarters on the top so you can definitely check us out man and uh before we go yep. carol soundcloud oh soundcloud uh youtube, YouTube. all of that stuff man all of that stuff before we go carol as always we gotta let you close the show out 
So give some people, I guess give the people something to look forward to, you know, as we drop the next podcast after this. I will say this. Um, there is a lot of people and a lot of debate about gun control and in the spirit of the political environment we're in. A lot of you are treating your gift like it's a weapon, a concealed weapon, and you don't want to expose your your gift, you're afraid of exposing yourself. And I would encourage you, you want to be out there with your gift, exposing it and touching as many people as you can and unconcealing your weapon that's going to make you successful in life. Because that is the only way that it will grow and the only way that you will ever fully use it. So unconceal your weapon, your gift, and never leave home without it. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Carol Cadayo dropping the bomb on you. Unconceal your weapon. Please don't hurt anybody. <laughs> Use your gift for the betterment of mankind. <laughs> hey, man, we, we we might get sponsored by the NRA off of that one. <laughs> I don't know if I'll take that check, man. I believe in guns and gun control all at the same time, though. I don't know if we'll, we'll have to have some conversations about that check. But there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening here on the 13th floor. Well, the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. Are amazing. Now is your time to flesh.